0: Well, thank you so much for that very gracious introduction and, uh, you know, I'm a little intimidated following the legendary Haley Barber, but on the other hand, I'm delighted to be able to follow him because I think so much of what I want to say um, lines up with the great and wise advice that he has just given you. Whenever someone introduces me uh, the way I was just introduced, I feel the need to correct it. Uh, Because, you know, introductions when you're giving a speech are always, they make it sound so smooth, you know? And it wasn't, it never is. Uh, The truth is that I graduated from Stanford University with a degree in Medieval History and Philosophy. (laughs) So that made me all dressed up with nowhere to go. (laughs) And I also graduated in 1976 in the middle of a recession. Those were the gas lines. I mean, it was a bad time. And so I went off to law school because that's what my dad wanted me to do. He was a law professor, ultimately a federal judge. I quit law school after a semester because I hated it. And the only way I could earn a living was to go back and continue to do what I had done while I was in college to pay for my room and board. And yes, I worked as a, at a hairdresser's, not as doing hair, but uh, doing their appointments and closing up their cash drawer at night. But I was a really good secretary. I had worked as a temporary secretary. I could type 87 words a minute. In my day, the big innovation was the IBM Selectric typewriter. So I am dating myself. And I took the first job I was offered, which was to be a secretary receptionist, actually, for a little nine-person firm. I typed, I filed, I answered the phones. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I just needed to pay the rent. And the only reason I got headed towards business is because two gentlemen in that small business came up to my desk one day and said, you know, We've been watching you, maybe you could do more than type and file. Do you want to know something about what we do? Now I have traveled all over the world. I have been privileged to travel around the world and meet with all kinds of people. And I know that still in 2013, this is the only country on the face of the earth where a young girl can graduate with a degree in medieval history and philosophy, drop out of law school, go to work as a secretary, and ultimately have the privilege to run the largest technology company in the world. That is only possible in the United States of America. And I am a Republican, a very conservative Republican, by the way, for those of you who followed my campaign. In California. I am a Republican because I believe we are the party of empowerment and reform and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Let me follow up on something the governor said a moment ago though. Here's why I think President Obama won the election and Yes, we lost the Senate because we had the wrong candidates in several places, but the most important reason why President Obama won the election, in addition to vilifying Romney and the same tactics were used on me in California, is because his campaign staff, through technology and through an on-the-ground effort that had extended for five years, they established a personal relationship with millions of voters. Tip O'Neill once said, all politics is local. I actually think all politics is personal. People vote based on what they think for them and their families. All politics are personal. And that is why Haley Barber is so right when he says, we have to establish a personal relationship with each and every individual and family that we want to vote for us. And of course, we are hugely advantaged now that we have technology to help us do that. But we can no longer kid ourselves. Our get-out-the-vote efforts, frankly, are really pathetic compared to what the Democrats have done in the last five years and our use of technology is as well. I'm going to tell two stories from my Senate campaign, and then I want to get into the heart of the matter, why I believe and how I believe we can communicate with people that we are the party of empowerment and reform. Two stories. I went into the African community, African-American community in Los Angeles a lot as a candidate, and all my campaign staff told me it was a waste of time. And it didn't win me many votes, but what struck me was the fact that when I went into those communities, I was welcomed and every single time I went into those communities, or Hispanic communities, or Asian American communities, the thing that broke my heart is those people would say to me, you know, you're the first Republican who's ever come to talk to us. They wanted to know what I had to say. It's just nobody had bothered before. The second story is this. Two days before the election, My husband Frank and I went to see Stu Spencer. Stu Spencer is a legendary (coughs) political guy, he ran Ronald Reagan's (laughs) campaigns, he's a grand old man of politics, he's about 85 now, and he had been helpful to me uh, behind the scenes, and so Frank and I went to thank him. It was a Sunday. He's talking about the polls, he says, you know, Carly, it's tough, but you can still win. Meg Whitman's going to lose, you can still win, you know, he's going through all the polls. Then he pauses and he says to me, Carly, what's the weather going to be like on Tuesday? And I said, well, it's supposed to be really nice. And I swear to you, he looked me dead in the eye, and he said, OK, well, then you're going to lose. I said, Stu, how can you say that? He said, because in LA County, they will get out the vote. They will do whatever they have to do to get out their vote. And you will be overwhelmed in LA County. That's a, precisely what happened, except for one other thing happened as well. The vote that we expected to come out in Orange County didn't. We're not going to win unless we establish personal relationships with voters and we get out the vote, period. And stop kidding ourselves about how good we are at it, because in comparison to the Democrats, we're not good enough. But what is it that we say to people when we establish that personal relationship with voters? What do we say about empowerment and reform? Now, lest you think this is a... Uh, recent revelation. I want to just tell you that in 2008 during the McCain campaign while we were driving around, um, I wrote an article for the Ripon magazine and I talked about these exact same issues. That we had to be the party of reform. So if you want to refer back to 2008 you'll know I haven't changed my tune and I haven't changed my tune because I believe so strongly that as long as people understand who we are, what we can do, coupled with that personal relationship with voters, we can win. I also want to say this to you. We may not have the White House. We may not have the Senate. But there is a great deal that you can do. And I want to talk about that as well. You know, we're called conservatives, Republicans, but conservatives. And Democrats are called progressives. And if you look those words up in the dictionary, you would find that the term conservative is defined as eschewing or avoiding change, and progressive is defined as moving forward. Now, I want to propose to you that in fact, it is the Democrats who now are standing and protecting a status quo which no longer works. They stand and protect entitlement programs which no longer work. They stand and protect vast, bloated bureaucracies that no longer are responsive to the needs of their citizens. They stand and protect pensions that are bankrupting cities and states. They stand and protect centralized decision-making in Washington, D.C. when we know that in the 21st century, it is all about getting information out to individuals to empower them to make their own choices. We are, we must be the party of empowerment and reform. So let me talk about specifically what I think we need to be for and what you as the majority in the House can put forward. Why is it that our economy is growing at 1% or 2%? Why is it that this recovery isn't as robust as previous recoveries. Well, I'll tell you why. Because we have structural problems in our economy. And as long as they remain, we won't grow above 1 or 2%. What's the first structural problem we have in our economy? We don't have enough small businesses growing, or succeeding, or forming there are fewer small businesses starting and more small businesses failing now than at any time in the last 40 years. Why is that important? Because small businesses, remember me in that little small business, that little nine person business, my story is most American story. Most Americans get their start in a small business. Small businesses create two-thirds of the new jobs. Small businesses employ over half the people. Small businesses, 11 patents a day, we were thrilled with that at Hewlett Packard, as we should have. But the truth should have been. But the truth is that small businesses and new businesses innovate at 12 times the rate of large businesses. In other words, small business is the engine of growth in this country. And small businesses are flat on their back. So, what do I mean by the power, the party of empowerment or reform? We have to not stand up and protect the top 1%. That isn't our fight. It shouldn't be our fight. Here's what our fight should be Why is it that more small businesses are failing? Because they can't deal with a 27,000 page tax code. Why is it? That fewer small businesses are starting because they look at the regulatory morass and they say, I can't figure it out. The truth is that Washington works pretty well for big labor and it works pretty well for big business because big business has lots of lobbyists and lots of money. And frankly, big business uses the tax code, uses the regulatory regime for competitive advantage. That's what big businesses do. It's not because they're evil, it's just their job is to get whatever advantage they can. You know what who Washington doesn't work real well for? Small business. And yet, they, they are the engine of growth. And it is small businesses that give people their shot at the American dream. Every immigrant, every wave of immigrants to this country has started in small businesses. If you look at the parts of the economy that grow faster African American, small business. Asian American, small business. Hispanic American, small business. Women, small business. Small business is where people get their start. Either because they get hired like me or because somebody says, you know what, I'm going to open up the corner restaurant, dry cleaners we have to champion tax reform that helps small business. So instead of saying, no, 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 we don't ever want taxes to go up on the top 1%, I think what our party ought to be saying is we have to reform the tax code so that it works for the little guy. And the way it's gonna work for the little guy is vast simplification. 27,000 pages is killing our economy. Now, my personal opinion, What would be simple? What might even be revenue neutral? Lower every rate, close every loophole. I'm not necessarily recommending that. It has the benefit of being clear. Small businesses would applaud. Loopholes benefit big business, not small business. And we must acknowledge, as Republicans do, that our tax code is totally uncompetitive. Our rates are the highest now in the world. But let's champion tax reform the small business owner, because they drive the economy and they give people their first shot. <clears throat> Tax reform, education reform. We have to be the champions of education reform because what empowers someone to make the most of themselves? And education. Yes, I was a medieval history and philosophy major, but I had a college degree. I knew how to think. We know our education system is failing. It is failing our children. I don't know how many of you were shocked by this, I hope all of you, but I was disappointed that we didn't make more of it. Do you remember when Rahm Emanuel and the teachers union were duking it out in Chicago? Do you remember what the head of the teachers union said? She came to the mic, she said many things. But she came to the microphone, the thing that I remember most is she came to the microphones and she said, you know, we can't be held accountable for educating many of these children because they come from poor families and their environment at home is so terrible. Think what a shocking thing that was to say. We know every child wants to learn. It doesn't matter whether they're poor. It doesn't matter whether their home life is dysfunctional. Of course, family life matters in terms of a child's ability to receive education. But the environment that a child comes from says nothing about what a teacher is responsible and accountable for. Every child wants to learn. Every child deserves a chance to learn. And in this country, to compete in the 21st century, where brain power is everything, More children must learn. We, the Republican Party, we believe in the power of choice. The power of every parent to have a real choice. The power of every child to have a real chance. And what is it that the Democrats are doing? The progressives? Who are they protecting? The teachers unions. Talk about protecting the status quo. This should be a winner issue for us. Education reform. Bold education reform that builds on the principles that we know work. The power of choice, real choice, and the absolute conviction that every person has potential, that every child can learn, and that it is our job to give every child the chance to learn and fulfill their potential. Tax reform, education reform, yes, immigration reform. I am personally as I have said publicly many times now, I am delighted with the compromise that the Gang of Eight has come up with. We must reform immigration in this country, both legal immigration as well as dealing with those who are here illegally. I know this is a controversial subject, I personally support the DREAM Act because I do not believe it is in our vested self-interest to punish children. I believe it is in our interest to educate them. But I also think that that compromise is very delicately put together. And I think if either side pushes it too far, it will fall apart. Immigration reform should be our issue. Why? Because we know that this country has always benefited from hardworking people that come from wherever because they want to build a better life for themselves and their families. Remember this. Remember this. What sunk immigration reform in 2007? Well, I'll tell you because I was sitting, eating in the Senate dining room with John McCain and others the day that vote went down. And there were crushed Republicans in that dining room. You know why that bill sunk? Because people like Barack Obama, oh, sorry, that's my phone. People like Barack Barack Obama and Barbara Boxer voted against the guest worker program under pressure from their unions. Remind people of that. We are the party that believes every person has potential. Every person has a chance, has a, should have a chance to fulfill their potential and this country is benefited by all of those people who want to work hard coming here. But we have to reform our legal immigration system as well, which is why the safeguards on the border, reforming the visa program, making sure that the people we educate here stay here. It is in our vested self-interest as a nation competing in the 21st century to reform immigration and we should be the champion of immigration reform. And finally, immigration is a structural problem in our economy, each and every one of these are. Final structural problem we have in our economy. It's called innovation or lack thereof. And this too is something we should champion. What do I mean by innovation needs reform? Well, first of all, the government today, led by Democrats, the government today is playing precisely the wrong role in innovation. The government cannot pick winners and losers effectively. So when the government tries to play venture capitalist, they fail miserably. And that's what they're doing today. They're playing venture capitalists by saying, let's invest in Solyndra, let's invest in this one, let's invest in that one. That will never work. And in fact, it's not just a neutral, it's a negative for our economy. But what the government could be doing is two things. One, the government could be, and should be, in my opinion, investing in what I will call platform innovation. The internet has changed the world. You know where the internet came from. DARPANET. The Internet started as a government-funded research initiative. What the moonshot, the moonshot spawned tremendous innovation in the private sector. Government can play a role, but it has to play the right role. And we should champion the right role to enhance our ability to innovate. We can't simply stand up and say, Solyndra is a bad thing. Yes, it is. We need to say what we're for, to the governor's point. You know what we're for? We're for effective innovation, which means the government has a role and the private sector has a role. And let's keep them straight. And one more thing. This is the 21st century. Politics has been revolutionized by technology. Business has been revolutionized by technology. What about government? What about government? I believe that in your capacity, the Republican majority's capacity, as leading government oversight and accountability, We should be demanding that these vast government bureaucracies actually apply transformational technology to the business of government. The only way I know that you can increase the level of service you provide and spend less money at it is to apply technology in a transformational way. We should be the champions of that. And so I'm not vague. Let me just give you one small example of what I mean. In the state of California today there are 25,000 roughly government employees that do nothing but determine eligibility for Medicaid. I happen to have joined the advisory board of a small startup called the Foundation for Health Coverage Education. It was started by an entrepreneur who said, you know, that's crazy. It's crazy that it takes all these people to determine eligibility. So he built A website could today be one of those exchanges, it exists. Five questions are asked on a web-based survey and someone's eligibility is determined. They have about four employees answering the phones. In other words, I could give you example after example after example, technology can transform the way business is done. I don't just mean make it more productive and make it more efficient, I mean transform the way it is done. And I do not believe anyone is talking about that in government today, and yet we know we have to deliver more with less. The majority House Republicans should be championing that. Not just talking about what's wrong, but talking about what's possible. And that too is a part of innovation. Tax reform with small business in mind because it is small business that lets most people get their first handhold on the rung of the ladder of the American dream. Education reform because without education, no one is empowered to fulfill their potential. Immigration reform because we always have to be the nation where people from all over the world say, That's where I want to go to start my dream. And innovation reform. Applied to government, but also because this is the century where brain power and innovation are going to win. I wrote a book called Tough Choices. Leadership is always about tough choices. Leadership is always a balance between what's desirable and what's possible. Leadership is always a balance between optimism and realism. You know, if you If you want to change things, you better be really realistic about the hurdles you face, the constraints, the problems. But you also have to be optimistic. Optimism is the belief that things can be better. And optimism is also a fundamentally Republican value. Why? Because we have faith in the individual. Because we know that every single person has potential. We know that this is the only place on earth, still, where it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your last name is. All that matters (coughs) is that you have potential and you want to fulfill your potential. And we should be the party that stands up and says, we will empower you. We will empower you to live the life you choose. We will empower you by reforming the things that are fundamental to giving you that chance. One of the things that I say often to people, people ask me, what's leadership? And I start by saying, here's what leadership is not. Leadership is not about title. Leadership is not about position. Leadership is not even about power. There are lots of people with title and position and power who never lead. Leadership is about making a positive difference. Yes, there are many things we cannot do as a party. There are many things you cannot do as a party because we have President Obama in the White House and we have Harry Reid in the Senate. But your ability to help lead is not about the position of power you have. Although, isn't it great, you are in the majority. Leaders see the possibilities. And I believe this is a time for our party to seize the possibilities that we have in front of us, to establish a personal relationship with voters, and to step forward and say, we are the party that knows that this country is utterly unique in human history. Because this is the only place where we believe that everybody has potential, that everyone has the right to fulfill their potential. But we also know that an individual to have that chance has to be empowered. They have to have tools. And we have the reforms that can help give them those tools. Whether it's a vastly simplified tax code that encourages an entrepreneur to say, yep, this is the year I'm going to start my business. Whether it's education reform that gives a parent and a child a choice. Whether it's immigration reform that recognizes that we can use every brain and every hardworking pair of hands that we can get. And whether it's reform that recognizes that in this marvelous 21st century there is so much more that we must do to maintain our innovative and competitive advantage. I think you have a wonderful opportunity in front of you. I truly do. Politics is actually about more than winning elections. Yep, winning elections are really important. And Politics at its best is about making a positive difference. And the American people right now, I think, are sick unto death of thinking about who's going to be in the next election or who's going to win the election. They just want people to get to work. Be the party of reform. Be the party of empowerment. Be the party that I joined, because I knew that this party represents the story of my life, which is the story of the American dream. Thank you so much. time schedule, but we have a couple of minutes for a few questions. Do we have any on here? Right here, Jen. Um, yes ma'am, I met you at a few event a year ago, and I commend you for running in shape. It's incredibly difficult for the public. I know we have a house here in Virginia now. Do you ever consider running in that (laughs) (laughs) conference? Well, um, so just to explain, we, uh, after, um, I um, lost the election in California. We frankly had less and less reason to be in California. My parents um, both are deceased now and um, in addition to uh, battling uh, cancer, we lost our younger daughter. And uh, When you go through things like that, you realize that life is short. We just don't know how short. We have a daughter here in Virginia and two granddaughters, and so we decided it was high time we come back home. This is actually where Frank and I met and married. We raised our family here, so it's nice to be back home. And uh, all of which is to say, who knows what the future will bring. But it's nice to be back home. Uh Anyone? Anyone else? Somebody in the back. Oh. No, I think he's resting. Okay. There's, there's a one, right two. there and then we'll... So like, ahead. I appreciate your comments on tax reform. How, how do you think we should convince big businesses that you admit the tax code works great for to accept the changes that will be directly against their interest? I don't have a lot of lobbyists coming yeah. and say thanks for your idea to get rid right of that. Yeah. Well, it's a really good question. Um, first, it's one of the reasons why I say lower every rate and close every loophole, meaning... Uh, I think as soon as you start trying to negotiate which loopholes to close, that, you know you're in your position. I'm not, but in my view, you're lost because then what will happen is oh, everyone will pile on to yeah. I know you're only going to close some, keep mine open, et etc. et cetera. Um, to me, just me, if the if the rallying cry were lower every rate, close every loophole, I would shame business into it. I would shame them into it. Because, and I say that as someone who ran a big business, because every big business CEO knows that the ostensible top rate they pay is absolutely uncompetitive, the highest now in the world. They know that that uncompetitive rate causes this perverse behavior of everyone looking for you know, uh, particular tax deals they know it has caused the perverse behavior of all these loopholes and I would rally small business behind it. It is very hard for big business to stand up and say we're not going to support what small business wants. But frequently, unfortunately, because of all those lobbyists, it's big business that gets the voice. So uh, that may seem very unrealistic to all of you who get bombarded every single day by these lobbyists. But uh, NFIB, uh, Chamber of Commerce, there are lots of organizations that I think can uh, step up here, would step up here. Big business truly doesn't need your help, but small business truly does need help now. It is a scary statistic that more small businesses are failing and fewer are starting at any time in 40 years. We've got to solve this. I'm getting the hook nicely. Thank you so much. See the possibilities in your position right now. And step forward and put forward ideas, platforms, legislation that people can say, that's me. That's me. I agree with that. Thank you so much.